Hello, hello. Hey, up, what's up? What's good? Ni hao, privyet, bonjour. Que cosa sucede? Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, artistic, and creative people around the world. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. Brilliant, brilliant show for today as we bring back best-selling author and leader of the Glam Italia Tours, Corinna Bertram Cook, returns to the show. Corinna is the author of several books, including Glam Italia's How to Travel Italy and 101 Fabulous Things to Do in Florence. She is a guru of all things Italian travel, but also has profound and expertise knowledge in sustainable and ecologically moral traveling. I wanted Corinna to return to the show to chat about some of her tips for being a sustainable traveler and some of the steps we can do to make sure that we can blend our enjoyable travel experiences with taking care of the environment at the same time. Finally, I wanted to chat with Corinna about how she has handled the last year, especially not being able to travel as much as she wanted, and wanted her to check in on her newest writing projects as well. Always, always love chatting with Corinna. She's a reservoir of travel knowledge, and I can never download enough information from her. Throw it for you guys to hear from her, so let's go ahead and bring back Corinna Bertram Cook, and let's learn. Glad to see your face. Glad to chat with you again. 2020 was obviously very challenging for and a lot of frustrations for everyone, but someone who is a travel writer and someone whose passion is traveling must have been incredibly frustrating for you. How would you summarize 2020? Uh, it was incredibly challenging. And I, I mean, I have a hard time staying put, just staying in one place. Yeah. Obviously, I live to get on planes and travel and be all over the place. So I did find that very challenging. But um, I think, too, that when a really challenging year like that comes along, you learn a lot about yourself and about people that are around you. I think that when there's a crisis, the leaders will rise to the top. They'll pop up at it everywhere. And they may not be the people that you think or would have thought were leaders. Um, so they're not necessarily your elected leaders or the people who have a leadership role at the moment in your society. But there's these people who, who just, they just rise up. And then you have the doers and the helpers. They take up all this middle space. And then at the bottom, along with the, the grifters and the con men, you have the conspiracy theorists. And so I found 2020 to be a, an incredibly educational year, that's for sure. Again, for you as a writer now, professionally, a lot more frustrations and challenges. How did your writing adapt throughout the year? And what did you do for the projects that you were working on? So I had to put a lot of projects on the back burner because with no travel in the foreseeable future, writing um, travel guides was a little bit, you know, it, it didn't really make too much sense. So I started working on a fiction project Ooh. and um, that was really, that's been really quite something. But now that it looks like travel might be coming back around again, that one's back to the back burner and we're back up writing uh, the next of the series with the travel guides in the hope that when travel does open back up I'll be launching book four. Was there was there a sense of guilt at all as far as writing about travel? Was there ever a time where you felt like it was inappropriate to talk about travel because of the restriction? No I think that I've been always just looking forward to travel will come back 
we just have to change how it looks. And that has, to a degree, been my message the whole way through with all of my books. Um, I'm very, very anti-mass tourism. I think it's completely untenable. And I'm very pro-sustainable tourism. So that's been my message pretty much the whole way through. And then for now, I think while we can't travel, sometimes for people, just the act of planning travel, thinking about travel, researching travel can be very cathartic. It can be a great stress buster. Like when you can't cope with what's happening all around you, if you can escape into internet world and be looking at fun things to do in Spain or, you know, uh, going down to the Andes or something, even, even though you can't do it right now, it can be incredibly helpful and a great escape mentally. So. Well said, but I have to ask, uh, you don't, don't give away too much. You piqued me interest with this fiction work that you're doing. All I want to know is, where is the country of the setting? That's all I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's set, set in southern Italy. Okay, that's all I wanted to know. Keep everything else a secret. But, but I, now, it's, now it's back burned again, and we're back on to writing book four in the travel series. So Writing fiction is a whole different beast to writing nonfiction. When I'm writing nonfiction, I'm telling you things I already did and things that I feel very passionate about that I really want to share with you. When you're writing fiction, you're creating a whole new world and new people and new things. And it's quite challenging. Yeah, when telling a story, there's more confidence when you have facts. And mm -hmm. created, there's a little bit in the back of your mind like, is anybody gonna like this? <laughs> well, I have that with all of my books. And it's funny because when you sit, well, for me, when I sit down to start a new book and I'll, I'll start plotting out all the things I want to talk about, and then I have this absolutely crushing anxiety imposter syndrome where I'll have a day of like, no one's going to want to read this. Who do I think I am telling people about this? And I go right through that whole thing. And then I'll like divert myself by getting back to my list of things I want to talk about. And then I'm suddenly like, oh my gosh, people are going to love it when they hear this. And I'll remember my first time walking into this place because I snuck down an alley and was like, what's in here? And walked in and discovered this amazing museum or palazzo or whatever it is. And then I'm like, back in the cell, I'm good to go. It's, it's my obsession again at the moment. Um, so I wake up in the morning. I can't wait to get on the laptop and get working on, on uh, the new book. So. You mentioned earlier about you are against mass tourism, and that's mm -hmm. I appreciate and respect that that you have that mindset, and I admire that. So today I wanted to talk more about that in a broad macro sense. What do you feel are the prime problems that we need to be focusing on now? So when it comes to mass tourism. I do believe it's completely untenable. And I've been watching this over the last, say, decade of every year, more and more and more and more people. And it's impossible for any community to exist and function with, with this many thousands of people. And for someone who's listening who uh, perhaps hasn't traveled internationally lately, um, when you're in place, like there's certain places, say, for example, Venice or Barcelona, Bali, uh, when you have an, in a given day, you have five cruise ships come in, each with 4,000 people on it. And then so now we have 20,000 people descending on a very small place 
it's just it's insufferable it's impossible and I don't think it can continue and coming out of the pandemic when we're able to travel again I don't think any community or any traveler is going to want to be in a situation where you have 20,000 people coming at you it's just too much it's, it's not doable so it needs to it just needs to readjust and I think that Part of the problem is that people aren't thinking about it on the way in. You know, when I don't think that anybody has any malice in mind when they think, oh, I'm going to book this cruise and I'm going to be one of the 20,000 that are going to dump down in Venice. Um, so if, if we can make people aware and give them options to make different choices, then I think that's how we change things. Yes, and I read another problem with these cruise ships. Obviously, it's the amount of people, it's the influx of them, the heavy amount. But additionally, with that, since they're not staying overnight, the local economy is not even receiving that money. So people are basically coming in, reaping the benefits, and bouncing without really contributing to the economy. And it's almost one of the things I think some of these communities would be more appreciative or, or would allow this many guests if they were receiving some of these economic benefits. Yes, definitely, definitely. You know, if you think about it, if someone's on a cruise ship, they have breakfast on the cruise and now they get off and they come into town, maybe they'll buy lunch. They're probably going to buy plastic bottles of water and then, you know, oftentimes several plastic bottles of water that now we have this plastic, this single-use plastic waste. Perhaps if they're in Venice, maybe they buy a gelato, maybe they buy a coffee. Um, they're not putting money, money into the economy. The cruise ports are all filled up with these made in China souvenir shops. So when they're buying memorabilia to take back to their, their own country, they're not even then funding the local economy. You know, so it's not like local artisans who've been crafting, making masks in Venice. People aren't buying those. They're buying the $10 made in China knockoff things. And so I, I think if we really look at the number of dollars going into a port city or a city that is getting the business from the cruise industry and really reevaluate exactly how much money they're getting, it's not that great. You had mentioned that you don't think that when the pandemic's over that people will be more inclined to be on a cruise ship. And I agree with you. However, there's cruise ships existing right now that people are still traveling on and it blows my mind. For I have no desire to ever be on one at all. And the pandemic has only worsened that and sustainable tourism has worsened that too. But yet still people want to do it. It blows my mind. It's, I, I don't get it. I don't get why you want to be on a floating Vegas. Just go to Vegas. Like go to the pretend Venetian, go to the pretend Paris, do Vegas in Vegas. Don't be on the seas, polluting the seas. And then I was looking today at pictures of uh, Barcelona, which is another of my favorite cities in the world. It's a wonderful city. But I was looking at pictures of it when the cruise ships are in and Las Ramblas is just so packed, you can't, you can't wrap your head around that many people. And I look at that and think, how is any human going to feel in that environment post-pandemic? And I think, this, I think COVID is going to be going on for a long time. And we know that when this pandemic is over, there's another one in the shoot, whether it's two years away, five years away, 10 years away, we know there will be another one. So how do you feel if you are a merchant living in this town? You know, you have your little shop and now you have to deal with 
an additional four to 20,000 people per day. How does that make you feel? What's your level of safety? And how do you feel if you are a tourist? And so you're fine with your little group on your ship, but now you get off and you are suddenly in 20,000 people. What level of safety do you feel? It's a depressing thought because it's almost like the vendors are being held hostage in a way because they can't not sell because their livelihood has been threatened just by the reduction of tourism. So if tourists are showing up, they're going to want to be out there to sell. Just But then there are too many people who are putting them at risk. And unfortunately, I don't think it's going to change people. I don't think the most recent pandemic is going to slow people one down a bit. We just saw Monday night with the college football championship that there was oh, thousands gosh. of people in the streets of Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Now, you could say, well, hey, that's Alabama. But I think people always just don't think ahead. So I think it is going to continue. I think you're right. There'll be other pandemics. Back to just regular, because I know if we continue talking about t- pandemics, first of all, all the listeners will stop mm-hmm. listening. And second of all, we'll probably be depressed for the rest of the night. But back to just sustainable traveling, what are some of the things that you've done over the years um, recently that your habits that you've changed? I think since, well, my very first trip around Europe was on a Kentucky bus tour. So that would be mass tourism. And I mean, it was fantastic. I had the time of my life. And I think back then, um, it wasn't as destructive as it is now. But since then, since that first trip, then I figured out how to do it all myself and have always traveled by myself since then or done it on my own rather than being part of any package and so I think that for many 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 years probably since longer than you've been alive um, I've been a sustainable traveler and I travel to learn things about new places Um, I travel to experience something different than what I have at home so I've never been the traveler that will arrive in any city and go eat at an American franchise. Like I'm not going to go eat at McDonald's or KFC or Subway or I'm never in a million years going to go buy Starbucks in another country. That's to me is not what travel is about. Um, But I try with my little tours that I take and with my books, I try to educate people away from that because oftentimes people they just don't think they don't think about how that's kind of destructive to the local economy rather than helping the local economy yeah so but sustainable travel is built on three pillars and that is um you know environmental sustainability is the first one social and cultural sustainability is the second one and economic sustainability is the third and so working with the three pillars and constantly working to advance them is, I think, the answer. So, like, for example, within environmental, you have um, natural environmental, which is things like your waterways, your beaches, your forests, your hiking trails, that kind of thing. And then in the built environmental, you have your buildings and your uh, monuments. And then you have the resources, which are like the, the waterways, all the things that need to be there for the next generation. So um, I look at things like, you know, obviously my travel is very European centric. And rather than just talk about Italy, Italy, Italy all the time, which will bore your listeners, I was looking to think, well, what, can, what stats can I get that are really interesting for other people? And I looked at Machu Picchu, 
So in uh, 1992, there was an average of 9,000 travelers per year going to Machu Picchu. And they were mostly archaeologists and backpackers. And by 2013, there was 1.2 million per year. And then so you look at that and you go, what happens when you bring 1.2 million people into this place per year? We have mass erosion of all those tracks and trails. You have deforestation and somewhat quick urban development because they have to create facilities for 1.2 million people. You have landslides that now happen because of the deforestation. And, and then you have the trash element. And it, it, I mean, it just spirals. And so people don't necessarily think about that type of thing when they're planning a trip or booking a trip about how they're going to not be uh, damaging to the local environment. It's, it's amazing. And Machu Picchu, along with locations like Iceland, have seen just a tremendous increase in, in, a, in the tourism. And I will say, thinking of Iceland, you mentioned not visiting chain restaurants at McDonald's. Iceland was the only time I did make that mistake. And that was because Icelandic cuisine is, is on the, the low end of the spectrum. As far as <laughs> But when, when people are traveling, you're right, they don't think about that, right? They spend all their months planning, like, I can't wait to go there. They've seen the Instagram pictures of Machu Picchu, wherever it may be, and I just want to see that. They're not concerned with the fact that they might be leaving erosion for the next visitors, because you know what? They might not ever go back, so they don't care. With that in mind, how can the average traveler teach themselves or become ecologically or sustainable? Because it's not something that they think of. So what are some of the small things that they can do to get in that mindset? Especially because ahead of time, you don't even, you're not even aware of that. One thing you can do is be incredibly mindful of the amount of trash you create. And if people were to just take the mindset of whatever trash I create comes back out with me. So if I'm having bottle, plastic bottles of water, every empty plastic bottle comes back out with me. And if, I'm, if you're going on a cruise, take it back on your cruise ship with you. Like don't leave it in the town that you're in. Um, that can be the, the whole single use plastics are one of the most destructive things to every environment, whether it's the beaches that you're going to or Machu Picchu or going to national parks. All of that can be a big one. Um, another thing is just eating local cuisine. If you're going to country, whatever country you're going to go to, plan on only eating the local cuisine. So that's been locally sourced, it's cooked by locals, it's part of the cultural experience, but it also keeps money back in that local economy. Because if you're going and you're buying something from uh, you know, an American franchise, very little of that money is actually staying in that local economy. Yeah. Um, another, another big one that people don't think about um, with the economic being sustainably sustainable tourism, the economic side of it, is when we're booking things. So if you're going to whatever country and you think, well, where am I going to stay? I'm going to stay in a hotel. Well, I'll stay at a Marriott, for example. 16% on average of that $100 a night that you're spending on your room, 16% or $16 is going directly to that conglomerate. It's not even heading 
the town that you're in and then if you're booking through a booking service like a booking.com or whatever you can factor another 25% goes to the booking service so you've thought you've put $100 into the local economy but in fact it's 100 minus 25 minus 16 so little things like that can really make a big difference so were I to be booking a hotel somewhere I'll normally see what the consolidators have the uh, hotel priced at, and then I'll contact the hotel directly and say, hey, I saw on booking or on hotels.com or whatever that I can get a room for $100. Can you do the same thing? And they'll invariably be like, yeah, sure. And they'll block you in, and now you've just moved $25 back into that local economy. And if everybody did stuff like that, it all adds up. Wow, that's, that's something I'd never thought about because probably nine and a half times out of ten, they're going to match the price. And in fact, they're actually going to make more money off it because they're not cutting the other person into that. So that's a great tip. You've mentioned economics. You've mentioned the ecological aspects of the pillars. What about pillar number two about the cultural aspects? So can you talk more about that? Yeah, so I often think, imagine if in your neighborhood, if you got up tomorrow and at the end of your street, there was 45 tour buses and each of these tour buses has 50 people on it. And now they're all getting off and milling around and can't quite decide which foot goes in front of the next. And you still have to get your kids to school. You have to get to work. You have to get to the supermarket. You have to do all the things of life. But now you can't get past all these people. And maybe you want to take your kids to the local kiddie park, but now all these people are hanging out there and their trash is there and they've all been befouling the toilets. So now your, your kids can't even use the little local toilets that are in the park for the kids and that are not designed to have that volume of human waste going through it. So now they're overflowing. And then you try to think, well, okay, I'm going to go down to my local coffee shop and I'll sit outside and I'll have a coffee and I'll have a macaron. And you get there, and instead of being able to sit outside, the whole place is packed. There's nowhere for you to sit. There's a line of people from the tour buses, and the lovely little china cups that they'd make your cafe au lait with are gone, and they're replaced with, you know, 20-ounce paper cups. And the, the fabulous French press coffee is gone, and now it's some nasty, cheap mass market coffee. And the little macarons that they used to make are gone, and instead there's some plastic bag industrial chocolate chip cookie and now there's all the waste from that and this is the kind of thing that that people in local communities around the world are dealing with they're losing all of the things that are their their local identity the things that are special to them they're being overrun with with mass tourism and then you know everything's turning into starbucks are popping up everywhere and it, you know, it, it just gets too much. And if you think that's how you really have to live, what happens is that people get moved out of their, their towns that they've lived in for forever and they have to go way out into the suburbs or go to different towns to live because mass tourism is taking over. So that's part of the, the social and cultural non-sustainability that happens with mass tourism. And along the way, some of the... the local culture and traditions start to disappear so you know and then as well you have an influx of migrant workers because when you have massive 
tourism, you need to have massive numbers of workers. But of course, the, the financial model has them being paid very little. And the local people from your town don't want, you know, can't function on working for next to nothing. So they bring them in from other countries and can pay them rubbish and have them living in warehouses. And it just, so that whole social aspect of sustainability just disappears. So I think that's another thing to think about and, you know, be aware of and divert perhaps divert your travel dollars rather than going into these main overblown cities that are getting too much tourism, divert it and go to the town that's, you know, 10 miles down the road where you can have a slightly more authentic experience. And if you're seeking out those authentic experiences, then, you know, the, the rules of supply and demand are that enough people looking for something authentic is going to expand that access for people. What are some positive things travelers can do? For instance, when I visit a new city, one thing I do is I donate a pair of socks to someone in need. And, and how do I do that? Well, anytime you've been to a European train station, there's plenty of people in need of something. I buy an extra pair of socks, keep it in the backpack. It's small. It's easy to give. That's one thing I try to do everywhere I go. What are some other things that, that you know that travelers can do to leave a positive mark during their travels? I always think you have to look at putting money into the local economy. So when you're focused on that, you're going to make different choices. You're going to choose to shop with local artisans rather than high street shops that you can go to at home. Like you don't need to go to an H&M in... Paris, you know, we got them here. Go, go to a Parisian boutique and, and put your money into that. Um, again, with your food choices, if, if you're just constantly aware of you're coming to this town, so you're going to be sure to, to have a positive economic impact, which doesn't mean you have to spend lots and lots and lots of money either because plenty of us travel on tight budgets. But if you're just aware and you're thinking this whole thing out, then that can make a huge difference. And then also, um, for example, if I'm going to Barcelona, I'm going to jump on the train and go out to different little satellite towns that are, you know, a little bit off the beaten track and have a far more, well, not a far more authentic experience, but I'm going to seek out that authentic experience. Like one of my favorites from Barcelona is a little town called Girona and it's about 40 minutes by train and it's just fantastic. And I feel really great about going and putting my money in there, even if I'm just buzzing out for a day trip from the center. Also thinking in terms of, of when you're going. So July, August, I don't go. I'm never in Europe, July, August. Ever, ever, ever. <laughs> <laughs> And um, another thing I like to say to people, too, is don't just go to the big attractions because they're on the list of things you're supposed to do. So if you're not mad about Renaissance art, don't go to the Uffizi when you're in Florence. Go do something else. Do something, go do the things that you're really excited about. Um, I was watching a TED Talk the other day, and the guy was saying, you know, when you go to Stockholm, if you're into Frisbees, why not go to the Frisbee Park and, like, hang out with the locals and do that? And you're going to have this great experience. Or if you're into hiking, 
on like going on on you know walks through hiking trails just at the edge of the city ask your hotel where you can do that and go do that because you're going to come away from it fulfilled and you're not going to deplete the city and it's kind of like an everything wins thing but when you're talking about the homeless people like i always buy them things like buy them food um i was stunned like last time i was in paris there was just so many homeless people i couldn't i couldn't get over it and uh i made an effort to always to stop and pick up a burger or something for someone so yeah. they had something to eat you've mentioned about buying local one way to do that is actually through airbnb i use airbnb for the experiences personally for for me when i go to places i, I don't want to go to a, a mass tourist place where everybody speaks english i want there to be a language barrier i've been practicing my spanish for six months i want to use it and I, I remember i thinking back to when i was in barcelona and i was trying to practice my Spanish, and he said, he interrupted me, no, 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 I'm trying to learn English, he told me I'm trying to learn English, don't even worry, and it was, it was a little bit disappointing, it's like, I want that cultural. <laughs> I love that, and so I use Airbnb type accommodation a lot, almost exclusively, I'm not a hotel person, for me, if I'm going to be staying in a hotel, it needs to be so unique that in that split second when I wake up in the morning, I know exactly where I am. Um, so, for example, in Matera, down in southern Italy, with the, the hotels that are inside the Sassi, like they're built inside the caves, yeah. and they're fantastic. So I'll always stay in a hotel uh, somewhere like that. But otherwise, I love the vacation rental experience. And, in fact, over the years, it's turned out that all of the people I've rented for from, at least, have become really great friends. They're still in my life now. Um, I'll normally always stay at the same place and build that relationship with them but you know that's the most of my 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 christmas cards come from them my new year's wishes all come from them like we've become great friends and i think that you can really help out the local economy with that too because they if you're asking them who should i get for this uh who could i go on a walking tour with to go do an appetizer's walking tour. Who do you know that I could do, you know, that could drive me to the airport or whatever. They're going to know the people in the place. So you're, they'll connect you directly to people. So now your local tour guide who, and especially in places like Italy, they, you know, they have to go through exams and it, it's like a really legit career and it's a hard thing to become a local tour guide. And so if your Airbnb person is saying, oh, look, my friend so-and-so is, I'll hook you up with them. Now you've just put a whole chunk of money back into that local economy. And plus you're having this fantastic real experience and you actually feel like you're, you're living for however many days inside this place and you're going shopping and maybe making some meals at home and eating some meals out and you're, you're getting that experience of what it's like to be a local there. I like your point, Ron. I'm only going to use a hotel if it's something that I immediately wake up. I'm like, I know exactly where I am. We did it in uh, Barcelona where, you know, they have an architecture university there. And you have kids coming in from all over the world to study architecture. And one of the things they do to make money is they do walking tours. And, of course, it's very architecture-inspired walking tours in the city with this incredible architecture. And just fantastic. And they are lit up from inside. They're so excited to share everything with you. And, you know, you're helping some college kid. Like, 
the tips that you give them and the, you know, whatever you're paying them, this is helping a college kid get through the next week, you know, so everybody wins. And a college kid as a tour guide also probably makes the best photographer you can find because they have been using Instagram since birth. So they know the angles and they know the filters and the locations to use. So that's, it's another win-win for you. There's other things like thinking about if you're going to beaches, thinking about using suntan lotions that aren't damaging the environment. Um, you know, the coral reefs are getting bleached out and having problems because of certain types of sun cream that people are using. And you don't know that going in. So if you can even just research some of those things, if you're booking a trip to Hawaii, or if you're booking a trip down to the Great Barrier Reef or whatever, just, you know, maybe Google things I should know before going or eco-friendly things to know before going, which doesn't mean you have to eat like a vegan and drive around in a Prius. It just means that maybe there's, maybe there's a few environmentally friendly things that you would otherwise not know about because sitting here right now off the cuff i couldn't name a sunscreen to take to use in in australia at the barrier reef i'd have to google it and figure it out and be like oh okay well i didn't know that i think a major part of it is just having the mindset of caring and and having compassion because it's it's a lot like if you don't take care of your car if you don't put oil changes and you don't take care of it, it's going to break down. And if we don't take care of the planet, it's going to break down. And then guess what? We can't travel anymore. So if you were really, if you really, really, truly love and care about traveling, you've got to take care of the places that you visit. You, and I think just having that mindset is probably, is probably priority number one. Because if you start to care, there are things that you're going to think about on your own problem. Exactly. And if we travel for, you know, if, if the reason behind travel is to experience something different, if you don't want to experience something different, don't travel. Like if you're just going to take a photo, maybe don't bother. Um, or, or maybe maybe go somewhere else. But if, if the reason behind travel is to experience something new, then I think you're going to just set off on the right path. You're, you're going to go about it the right way. Um, and then you can like help to like, protect the quality of life for locals and that kind of thing. I think we may see in the future that some of the uh, travel hotspots start limiting the number of people that can come in each day. I think that will make a difference. I think some of them may end up having to charge a tourist fee to come in because like, if you come in on a cruise ship, you're not paying a daily tourist tax. Um, and so, so things like that, I think, could be a mark of the future. And I'm hoping that travel evolves into more small group travel and um, people doing it on their own. Now, in saying that, were I to be booking a trip to China or to India, for example, those would overwhelm me to try and do on my own. So I would probably be, be trying to get on some kind of tour to do that. But with a bit of luck we're going to start getting more small group tours where there's 10 or 15 versus 40 to 50. Well said. And I know some great small group travels to Italy, glam Italian travel. So <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's lots of them. And I think what is really fabulous about it is that whatever it is you're interested in, there's small group tours 
for that. So, for example, if you're into motor racing or you're into cars, why not do a small group tour that takes you to see that stuff? Because chances are you're not really interested in walking into lots of old churches and art museums. So go do that. Or if you're into cooking and foodie stuff, do foodie tours. Like there's, there's something for whatever it is you're interested in. And there's lots of, um, I see them when I'm out and about around the world, lots of young people who are making a career of doing these small group tours and they've got passion and they've got excitement and they give you a whole different experience. So go support them. Because you do find that with the, the, a lot of the big bus tours, um, the people working for them, they're, they're just going through the motions. They, it's the same old thing day in, day out. I had an experience about three years ago where I really wanted to go to um, Hadrian's Villa and uh, Villa d'Este outside of Rome. And I tried a million different ways to do it, but really you need to be with a tour guide because there's so much you miss without it. And if I was going to hire a driver and hire a guide and all this stuff, it was going to be really expensive. So I ended up going out on a bus tour and it was just like I was beating my head against the walls because the, the tour guide was doing the same corny jokes that, you know, he does every day when you get to this bit and then he says this and now he does his impersonation of what a gay person looks like and now he does this and now he does that. And it was just insufferable. It was horrible. <laughs> I absolutely hated it. Um, but the guy, if I could get him and talk to him, he actually had tons of really great information. He was just like, he had the shtick that he did because that's what the, the big crowds liked. you know. So, so what's next for you? What are the, the plans, projects, goals for 2021 in a utopic situation with everything back to normal? We'll, we'll think optimistically and positively. So in that world, what are your plans for 2021? Well, I want to have another book out, another travel guide. And I actually think, like talking about this, about sustainable travel, that the type of books that I write are particularly pertinent and particularly valuable because they are all about getting you off the beaten path, whether you're in the big cities or or if you're out and about, you're out in the countryside. Um, so I do want to have another book out. I'm hoping that travel will be back up by late summer so I can take another few tour groups over across September and October. Um, I'm hoping to be able to get to spend some more time over in Italy, just personal time over there. One of the things that I was going to do last year was uh, go down to Lecce in southern Puglia and spend a couple of weeks at a language school there because I love Lecce. I love the whole Salento area and I've always been wanting to go and do you know, an immersive language program, but I just, it's never uh, panned out. So I'm really good at talking nonsense and non-important stuff with you, but, but if you needed me in Italian to say anything important, I couldn't actually do it. I'm great at a dinner party, but hopeless <laughs> other stuff. So those are things that have been on my list that I'm hoping we'll be able to get back to later on this year. Awesome. 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 Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Always. Always. Uh, we'll, we'll do this again soon. Though. All right. Take care. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right, okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Much appreciation to Corinna. Be sure to check out her website, Corinna Cook with the E, CorinnaCook.com.
My new book, Curiosity, is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone has unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from the Any Given Runway Show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. Aviento.